1: The
0: following podcast contains explicit language. This is the first real victory, however temporary, for the resistance. Come on, you're the commander in chief. You can't be disappointed with the outcome of a federal case and say, well, the so-called judge. Any negative polls are fake news. You got that? Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. The show about the man who has gone to war with the department store, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. The crazy thing is that the store was Nordstrom's. Nobody has a problem with Nordstrom's. I mean, not everybody shops at Nordstrom's, but everybody knows it's a good department store, right? They're famous for their customer service. You can return anything. Nordstrom's is like the least controversial brand in the world. Picking a fight with Nordstrom's is like declaring a jihad against high-quality vanilla ice cream. Seriously, you're going to pick a fight with Haagen-Dazs vanilla? Well, I've got news for you. Vanilla ice cream is not going to fight back. Nordstrom's is not going to respond to your crazy tweets or to Breitbart telling its readers to boycott. And newsflash, the alt-right does not shop at Nordstrom's anyway. Nordstrom's, like China, is playing a longer game than the current occupant of the White House. It's planning to be here long after Donald and all the little Trump kleptocrats have crawled back into their gilded holes. But more amazing than Trump picking another fight with a well-liked brand was how his counselor, Kellyanne Conway, backed him up. She went on Fox News this morning and told viewers to go buy Ivanka's stuff. Kellyanne is the buddy you want with you in a foxhole. She'll lie for you. She'll break federal statutes for you. She'll gladly throw herself on a grenade or at least throw one through the window of a generally very well-liked department store. What's going on inside this crazy White House? It's impossible to keep track of who's up, who's down, who's looking at possible indictment. I'll be back in a moment with Olivia Nuzzi of New York Magazine to discuss the latest Trump administration feuds. I'm pleased to be joined by Olivia Nuzzi. She's the new Washington correspondent for New York Magazine. Olivia, thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, So I think this might be your first week on the job. And you have an amazing story uh, up on the website, which I just read about the lovey-dovey relationship between Steve Bannon and Rince Priebus.
2: It's very touching, isn't it?
0: How did you, how did you get in there with them doing this kind of, it was it read like shtick. I mean, what's funny about <laughs> it is there have been all these rumors of their feud, and they're taking great pains to convince you how well they get along and how much they like each other.
2: Right, I mean, it's hard to conceive of a, a less effective means of convincing me <laughs> that they don't hate each other than getting on the phone with me and, and trying to dramatically convince me of it for 25 minutes. It was, I couldn't believe it was happening when they were talking. Um, I, you know, I started poking around a bit. I had heard that they didn't like each other and specifically that Priebus was sort of um, seething on the fact that Bannon takes more of a hands-off approach to White House staffing, and he's not really getting in the weeds on the fights, um, and that Priebus was sort of using that as a means of stacking the White House with his allies to push Bannon out. Um, so I started poking around on that, and I you know, I reached out to the White House to see if I could talk to Priebus, um, and then they just told me that they wanted to set up this uh, on-the-record interview with myself and and Steve Bannon and Rain's Priebus, I hadn't even requested an interview. Um, so it was very surprising and uh, and I think had quite an interesting result in the end.
0: What, what are the stakes here? I mean, I think a lot of listeners to this show probably view the, you know, Priebus-Bannon fight as a little like the Iran-Iraq war, you know, <laughs> p- please, maximum casualties. But like, what? why does it matter?
2: Well, I think, you know, the thing that's interesting for me and I think should be interested for anyone who cares about how our government works or is not working right now is that these staff sites, you know, they may seem like petty and, and insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but they kind of speak to a broader chaos behind the scenes. And I think when you look at the way that some of these policies, whether it's the uh, immigration executive order being implemented, um, you know, it seems so haphazard and so chaotic, and I think part of that can be explained by the fact that there is sort of a reality show aspect to what's happening in the White House. And It really, it it does seem to be an environment of just complete and utter chaos, which is not really, you know, you read these stories about people behind the scenes pulling the strings, you know, Steve Bannon is the mastermind. I think it's more complicated than that. I think it's really that Donald Trump does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And everyone is trying to kind of get a couple steps ahead of him so that they can keep up.
0: But it's clear that with Donald Trump, one of the ways that you get your way if you're on his staff or manipulate him is you have to go to him through the media, right? Because he's watching CNN all the time. Right. And there's a theory that this story about um, Bannon being the real president and, and Trump being his ventriloquist dummy is was, pre, was something put out there by Priebus. Normally, mm-hmm. that would make a chief of staff look, look weak if another aide is pulling the strings. But the theory of the case was that, well, Trump will hate that so much that it'll hurt Bannon, right?
2: Right. I mean, Donald Trump is I think, a very complicated band. We all know that, at, at least at this point. Um, and, you know, the theory goes that maybe Priebus was planting these stories or at least encouraging their publications behind the scenes, you know, not on the record, as a means of angering Donald Trump. Because for Trump, anyone else getting the spotlight, even if it's for a positive thing that's on his team, it, it's bad. You know, he does not like to share the spotlight. One of the sources in my piece told me, you know, the Trump show only has one star. There are no co-stars. And so even though, uh, you know, the source went on to say, even though Trump encouraged people like Kellyanne Conway and during campaign Paul Manafort to go on television, you know, defend his policies or defend his rhetoric at the time, it, it did still bother him on some level because he is a jealous person and he doesn't like to see anybody else on the cover of a magazine. So seeing Steve Bannon, you know, the great manipulator on the cover of Time like that, on some level, the thinking goes, maybe set Trump off.
0: Yeah, well, you said complicated man. What you're describing sounds to me like a two-year-old. He's has a fit, <laughs> he has a fit if someone else gets attention instead of him for five minutes.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. We all spend, I'm sure, you know, everyone who covers politics at this point spends so much time thinking about Donald Trump, right? I don't remember the last time I went through an hour of my day or night, frankly, not thinking or talking about or listening to or watching Donald Trump. Um, So maybe at this point, I'm just, I'm giving him too much credit because I spent so much time analyzing him. Maybe he is simple in that sense that he is just uh, someone who's driven by, uh, you know, very basic wants and needs for attention. Um, but, you know, what we were talking about before, which is that Trump aides feel like the one way to get through to him, is through the media. And so I think some of the times when we see Kellyanne Conway or others on television saying things that maybe don't make a lot of sense or trying to explain Donald Trump's uh, own statements in a way that don't make a lot of sense, I think it's because they're talking to this audience of wants You know, they're trying to get through to him they don't really care so much about, you know, what bloggers or what New York Times reporters have to say.
0: So let's talk about some of the other key relationships around Trump in the White House. Um, Bannon, Kushner, go.
2: (laughs) It's hard to say, you know, Bannon talked a little bit about, you know, the perception of what their relationship might be during our interview on Tuesday. And he was saying that, you know, the media cast, him as being this wild man, you know, him and Stephen Miller as being the wild men. And then Jared as being this progressive who's just sort of polite and trying to get his stuff done separate from all of that. Um, And he was sort of laughing about that say, you know, of course, that's not true. That's just the simplistic media narrative. Um, I don't know what the truth is. You know, uh, Kushner is a very difficult person to understand. He doesn't seem to have a lot of uh, close confidants or or people who, you know, understand him who will talk to the media, which is pretty typical for politicians. You know, when you're covering a politician, they normally have an entire orbit of people surrounding them that you can talk to and then try to get it some kind of grasp about who they are and what they believe. Kushner is not like that. He seems to have a very, very tight-knit circle, and it makes it difficult to understand what his motives are or, you know, what his objective is.
0: What do you make of the the story or the interpretation that stuff goes nuts on Shabbat when he turns his phone off and <laughs> is, isn't there as a restraining influence?
2: I mean, so far, it seems like that's a, a good theory. I guess we'll, we'll see you know, this weekend and and the following weekends after that, you know, if it's true. um, I mean, it does make sense. They do seem to be... Part of me, though, you know, I don't want to give them too much credit. You know, I saw that story about them stepping in to uh, prevent Trump from from signing an executive order relating to LGBT rights. I think it was a very fair story. Uh, and, And part of me thinks that's just spin. You know, that someone either, you know, the Kushner... is. Or someone working on behalf of the Kushners going out there trying to make them look good. Um, I'm very skeptical of stories like that, that, you know, actually behind the scenes, they're doing, they're working for good. Um, So I, I don't really know what to, I don't really know what Kushner is. Objective is, you know, there. They, every profile you read of him, it just sort of barely scratches the surface. He's a very difficult person to to get close to. It seems, um, and that makes it hard for I think the general public to to understand him. Then, by extension,
0: okay, Spicer Trump go. <laughs> uh,
2: well, I mean, if you believe the recent reports, right, Donald Trump is is very angry at Sean Spicer and unhappy with him because his suit doesn't fit, and he's sort of embarrassing him out there every day at the briefing. I think if Donald Trump was really as upset with Sean Spicer as some of the anonymous quotes would have us believe, Sean Spicer would not be out there doing the briefings anymore. I think he would have replaced him by now with someone else, you know, be it Kellyanne or or someone else in the communications department. Um, I think, again, when I see quotes like that, you know, like after that first briefing, that Sean Spicer gave the day after the inauguration where he just yelled at us basically for 20 minutes about the crowd size. When I saw those quotes that Donald Trump was upset about that, I thought that was just a faith-saving effort on the White House's part you know, I thought there, there was no way that Sean Spicer decided on his own to go out there and say those things without direct dictation from the president. No,
0: you're being sent out there for that, for that humiliation and being sent out to lie, which is, you know, yeah. a terrible position. I mean, it's, it's a terrible position to be put in. It's terrible to accept that assignment and go through with it. But what about, you know, Saturday Night Live, Melissa McCarthy? I mean, there was another story that Trump didn't like that, that it was he was played by a woman. I mean, it's all this kind of like, you know, m- male one-upsmanship. I mean, he's kind yeah. of, you know, uh, Sean Spicer is kind of a schmo and a deadbeat, and he's uh-huh. kind of embarrassing to him to have around. But you don't, you, don't, you don't rate that.
2: I don't know. It's difficult. You know, I, I feel uh, the, the trouble with reporting on or trying to understand Trump and, and the people in his orbit is that people lie to you and they lie to each other. And they're often lying to themselves, right? So it's never clear, you know, what you should believe when you talk to people who are close to the, who are in the white house or or close to the white house. So I, I never know how to really, how much credibility to give stories like that. I struggle with that, you know, every day because every day there is some sort of new explosive Donald Trump is upset about something story since he entered the office. And I, Every day, I'm just sort of trying to figure out myself, you know, how much credibility to give each of those stories.
0: It's a great point. I mean, covering the the White House is, you know, is a wilderness of mirrors. In the best of times, in that, you know, people have have their own motives, and and leaks are, you know, we hard to tell why people are leaking to you and what to believe. And mm-hmm. that's in White Houses where people are ba- have basic integrity and 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 aim to tell the truth. In right. this one, where everybody's lying all the time at every level about everything to an extent that you you have to ask, do they even care what's true or believe that anything is true? What's, how do you add value through reporting?
2: I think, I mean, so far, again, this is like my first week on the job here, right? It's <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, I, you know, I just, I think the, the key for me at least is to talk to as many people as possible, right? And, and make sure I'm sort of almost acting like Donald Trump, right, polling a wide variety of people until I arrive at, you know, some sort of answer that seems uh, logical. Um, But it's very difficult because these are people who will go out there, right, and they will blatantly lie on the record, on television, on stage somewhere. Uh, Donald Trump himself will go out there and and lie, you know, just repeatedly. Um, And so it's it's especially difficult, you know, to then have to deal with, you know, some of these people off the record or on background. And, and how much weight do you give the things that they say? And, you know, is it even worth looking into the things that they're telling you? Uh, you know, is it is it worth trying to figure out whose side they're on? The allegiance that seem to be constantly shifting within the administration right now, it's it just... It's very confusing and, and very exhausting, to be honest.
0: And how do you keep up relationships with them? I mean, today, Kellyanne Conway, speaking of people who seem to enjoy lying, went on Fox television and did what just looked a lot like breaking federal law when she told right. people to go buy Ivanka's products. Are you, how are you dealing with that story?
2: Uh, you know it's it's difficult. I've never felt um you know uh, there was a lot of talk in the last week about um Michael Wolf, right, from the Hollywood Reporter. And he went on uh reliable sources, I'm sure you saw, and he literally said at some po- at one point that he was sucking up to the administration. He admitted to that, right? Cuz to him that's the way that you get access and and access is so important. Um and I just I I think that's total bullshit, right? I think most of the time if you're being fair, most sane people will continue to deal with you, right? People in, in politics and in government care about whether or not they're going to get burned. But if you're treating them fairly and you're giving them, you know, an opportunity to defend themselves or explain themselves, I think people are generally willing to talk to you and, and to, you know, let you into their world generally. I mean, and maybe I'm going to find something completely different in the next couple of weeks. But so far, covering the campaign and now covering the administration a bit, that's what I'm finding.
0: It's very idealistic of you, Olivia. It might be true, might not be true. But I think <laughs> that what, what what is definitely true is if you suck up to them the way Michael Wolf does, they they have contempt for you.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that's idealistic of me. I, I take issue with that because I think it, it's most people do respect it. If you are critical of them when it's deserved, right? I mean I don't think that I haven't encountered any, you know, operatives or, or people working in this administration so far who want just people being relentlessly kind to them all or
0: have you met have you <laughs> met Donald Trump? Have you met the met the President smart. of the United States?
2: But, Donald Trump. You know, I've been very critical of Donald Trump. I was blacklisted for for a long period of time during the campaign, but I was, you know, still able to kind of claw my way off the blacklist and interview him and, you know, develop relationships with his campaign. And so I think it's just, it's a balancing act. It's sort of, um, it's like a tightrope act in some ways. And I think it's just, you have to constantly be, um, I think you have to be relentlessly honest with the people that you're reporting on.
0: That's your approach in this in new job, which is which is a terrific one. I mean, I'm I'm hugely looking forward to you doing reporting like this. What's your? I I
2: might I might be in like a concentration camp next week. This could be completely wrong, but
0: well, there'll be a lot of company. You know, all the best (laughs) people will be there.
2: It'll
0: be huge. <laughs> but um, I was just going to ask you a little more about sort of what your agenda as a reporter. I mean, you could go I, – I, in a way, there, there, uh, there are a thousand interesting stories about all this craziness swirling around the president, around the kleptocracy, around the incompetence. You know, it feels like vast – crucial stories, the Russia hack, are kind of being, you mm-hmm. know, who, oh, sweat, left by the wayside. How do you decide, how do you prioritize? How do you decide what's most important and what you're going to do over the next several
2: months? You know, it's, it's difficult because for me, this is the first White House I've covered, right? And so my agenda for the next couple of weeks is to just sort of get very acquainted with doing that every day, you know, going there and, and being at the briefings and, you know, developing relationships with as many of the people who are directly involved as I can. Um, But then, you know, I constantly feel like I am ignoring 500,000 other extremely important things, you know, and if you're focusing on the drama or the palace intrigue, then you're forgetting about the big important stories, right? And if you're focusing on the big important stories, you might be missing what's happening that's going to decide the next big important story because it's happening behind the scenes right now. And so, I, I don't know. You know, it's just a constant conversation with my editors about what is the most important thing right now, or you know, what's the the most uh, executable thing right now.
0: All right, I've got one last one for you, Olivia Melania Donald. Go.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I I feel bad for her, and I don't know why. I I don't think she's a victim. I think she's a volunteer. But at the same time, when I see her out with him, and we all saw that, you know, that famous meme at this point, which is a ridiculous phrase, but it is famous now, um, of her smiling and then, you know, just devolving into this scowl. I couldn't help but feel like we were seeing something very honest happen on that stage. I think it's, you know, the rap on her that we see on the internet and all these jokes is pretty much true. I think she signed up to be the spouse of a prominent man uh, who she was, maybe she was in love with, And instead, she's found herself in this incredibly high pressure. Position that has disrupted her way of life completely and totally, and her life may never be the same after this. And I think you can see very clearly how uncomfortable she is with it in in photos of her.
0: We always project on to the the oh, silent yeah. wife of the politician. I mean, Curtis Sittenfeld wrote a whole book about Laura Bush, kind of projecting onto her. Even with Michelle Obama, who was you know much more quiet in the early days, people just make assumptions about what you're what you're thinking. But it's, it's sort of irresistible, right?
2: Yeah, and she has said as much. She said, you know, people, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, she said that people make all these, uh, these guesses about what she thinks and what she believes and it's wrong. And, you know, maybe she is perfectly happy and, and all of the pictures and videos that suggest otherwise are just, you know, all of us projecting. I don't know. But I, I think I find it very difficult to believe if you listen to how she talked about him running when he first started, where she would say that she had cautioned him you know, if you run, you're going to win. So really think about it hard. I I think all signs point to her not really wanting him to do this.
0: I've been speaking to Olivia Nuzzi, the new Washington correspondent of New York Magazine on her first week in the job. Olivia, I hope you'll come back again after you've been there a little longer.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason Delion. Yes, the same Jason Delione you've seen on the Home Shopping Network promoting his athleisure line. It's 100% made in America. Steve Liktai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. I'm wearing one of his lick ties now. It's red. It's extra long. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. He has a new line of headphones. They're called Beats by Bowers. You can't beat beats by Bowers. They come with an explicit language warning. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.